The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad you've joined us. Uh, Happy fall. Happy Friday. I have a fabulous guest on the show today, uh, someone that I am privileged to have gotten to know over the last year. Uh, Stephanie Cunningham describes herself as a cultural ambassador and art educator. I'm going to go ahead and let her tell you her career trajectory, as I do with all of my guests. But I will also mention that many of you know Stephanie as the co-founder and creative director of Museum Hue, which is a fabulous project and wonderful website. If you don't know about it, please uh, Google uh, Museum Hue and you will learn um, many things about issues related to uh, museums and diversity and the challenges that we face as an industry related to uh, building our participants, our visitors, as well as our staff and boards to be much more representative of the world that we live in today. So with that, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you, Carol, for having me, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, Again, and I'll share a little bit about my um, background and uh, what brings me to museum work. Uh, So I am born and raised um, in Brooklyn, first-generation American, and um, lived just about 10 minutes from the Brooklyn Museum. So my family and I frequented the museum quite often, and as I got older, uh, the Brooklyn Museum was the first museum where I had um, my very first opportunity. Um, I did an internship there within the education department and also within the curatorial uh, department. And so I knew very early on that uh, I wanted to focus on museum education, and which I did. And so within my museum practice, I focus on education and audience engagement. So really excited uh, that I was able to have an opportunity right in the very place where, where my love for the arts really began at the Brooklyn Museum. That's wonderful. And uh, what, so I guess I'm interested in what, uh, what sparked you to ask for an internship there? You just, yeah. did you feel just really at home? I mean, I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. I did feel uh, like I was home at the Brooklyn Museum, and I would uh, send my resume um, to the education and curatorial department, but I would hear absolutely nothing back or, you know, get a letter saying, you know, that um, I wasn't going to um, have the opportunity in a certain department, right? And so wondering what else I could do and decided one day to literally go into the Brooklyn Museum with my resume in hand and went and spoke to someone at Visitor Services and said, hey, I've been applying for internships here um, and either getting a rejection letter or I'm not hearing back from anyone and just really wanted to see if there was an opportunity to speak to someone here. And luckily, um, someone from the education department was just an earshot away. And she turned around and said, hey, I work in the education department. Um, can I take a look at your resume? I handed her my resume, and she said, okay, um, well, I'll look at it. I'll give it to my manager as well, and we'll see what happens. Uh, and a few weeks later, they called me, and I got an opportunity to interview with her and a few other other colleagues of hers and landed my very first internship at the Brooklyn Museum within the education department. So, very thankful um, for that opportunity, but I did have to take that extra step um, to gain that that experience. I, and I think I'm so glad that you shared that story, Stephanie, because I know uh, I, I, as you do, I speak to a lot of young people uh, from high school on through graduate school who want to become involved uh, with museums. I also, uh, you know, talk to people who are just interested in in sort of landing that first job or their first opportunity. And Mm -hmm. I think times are always tough. And it takes that it takes that extra uh, moment. I mean, you could have very easily have just sort of given up. And uh, but by pursuing uh, that little bit of extra time, and then thankfully there were people there at the Brooklyn Museum who mm-hmm. saw that spark in you and were able, you know, to give you that little extra, uh, extra uh, time and focus. Yeah. Uh, we now, as a museum profession, have a fabulous uh, thinker and creative person in our midst that we otherwise <laughs> you would have. You know, been lost to us in in academics or some other industry, and we would be the uh, the poorer for it. So I I say that also just to, to underscore to uh, so many of our listeners how important it is to take that extra step, even after Absolutely. you know some rejections. For sure, for sure, and I'm I'm really thrilled that I did it. Um, I I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was nerve wracking, but I decided, you know, the worst thing that can happen was they say no. Um, and thankfully, that's that's not the case. You know, they said, you know, let's give this girl. She lives you know, 10 minutes away, she's really interested in the art, she's studying art history, you know, let's see how we can assist her, and I'm I'm so grateful and thankful for that opportunity, um, you know, but one thing that I did notice when I did land the internship was that I was uh, the only um, person who was either of color or didn't have a degree, um, you know, from a private institution or Ivy League institution as well. So learning, you know, 
very early on the disparities um, within museum internships um, as well. And so knowing that um, I had that privilege, you know, it was important for me to kind of create, you know, Museum Hue, which I, I know we'll get to as well. Right. And I, I don't, again, I don't want to spend the, the whole hour on your very first internship, but I think it, yeah. it's all <laughs> because you, you've done a lot more since then. But I think it's really mm-hmm. important, uh, if, if you don't mind my asking, uh, was this a paid internship or, or an unpaid internship? No, it was an unpaid internship. Um, wow. Unpaid. And one thing that I'm thrilled about that the Brooklyn Museum did, most of their internships uh, at that time was Monday through Friday, usually 9, nine to 5 or 10 to 6. And they allowed me to come in part-time because I couldn't come every day because of the fact that I was not only in school, but I couldn't, you know, afford to have an internship where I had to come in every single day because I was well, I, also doing work study as well. <laughs> of course, of course. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll round back to that. I know uh, that has been an issue uh, with museum workers speak as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the if we want to expand uh, our op- if we want to expand opportunities to people of of all economic and social backgrounds, mm-hmm. we're going to have to uh, find ways to pay them. And I Absolutely. think that that's that's an issue that that I have uh, become more involved with as as mm-hmm. as well. Even um, mm-hmm. as much as I can paying my own interns that work for me. So mm-hmm. let's move on. Uh, so, how long did you you uh, you stay at? Now, were you uh, you continue to work at the Brooklyn Museum, correct? Or that was just yeah, your internship? So, so uh, first, it was just the internship, and years later, I had um, after my internship gone off to other museums, I had opportunities to work in uh, other museums as educators, uh, as an educator, and also um, audience engager, and then came back to the Brooklyn Museum to assist on the new app that we have there. Um, the app, which is literally called Ask App, where people get to come into the museum and ask questions in real time and receive answers. It's the very first app created um, quite like this for a museum. And so I'm excited to have been a part of the team to uh, create the pedagogical approach to interacting with visitors as well as the content um, within the app. And it's re- it was really excited to return return to the Brooklyn Museum for this project because um, as a museum educator, being able to apply that kind of pedagogical approach to teaching um, Applying that to technology was really interesting to me. So I was able to, you know, help with um, the way we answer visitors' questions. So when a visitor asks a question about a work on view, we just don't, you know, give them answers, but, you know, have the kind of scaffolding approach that we take within museum education. So if a visitor asks um, a question like, what is this, you know, we may ask a question back saying, well, what do you see that makes you ask that question, right? So what, what, what color is it, right? What's the shape? What's the texture? Maybe what do you think it's made out of? So we're having a conversation with the visitor, uh, kind of forcing them to stop 
um, and look at the work and really observe uh, the work, what we noticed is that we really slowed visitors down with the use of this app. Um, the average museum uh, goer looks at a work of art for about four or five seconds, and we saw with the app that visitors were staying with a work of art for a much longer period. Um, and one thing that I also love about the app is that the curators and others within leadership in the museum really took to the responses that the visitors had on the app, um, thinking about the layout of the um, exhibitions within the galleries, thinking about um, being very explicit on wall labels about descriptions and things like that. And so even, you know, conversations that may be a little controversial as well. And so being able to just have real conversations with visitors when they wanted to have those conversations um, because, you know, it's an app. You can put it away when you want to and you can use it when you want to as well. So that was such an amazing opportunity and experience. Yeah, thank you. I, I did not realize that that was, was uh, one of your projects and it is a project that I have followed uh, very mm-hmm. carefully because it, you know, there for many of us uh, former curators, I will admit that that there was a little bit of of yeah, well, this will never work. But uh, it, you know, that just that just showed um, my parochial thinking, and I am so glad that I've been proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And you point out so many. So many interesting things. Again, we could take the whole hour talking about that that project. I I check out the website quite a bit. But what the point that is so well taken is one: it's a conversation that mm-hmm. is changing both the asker and the 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 museum staff in becoming much more uh, aware and uh, uh, human about. Uh, creating galleries and gallery spaces that are working for people. I think that, that uh, we so often get stuck in our offices and we forget who the people are coming in on a day-to-day basis that we're mm-hmm. uh, trying to, to help. And we, can't, and we don't put a face on it. And this, even though it's an app, it, 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 it breaks down that barrier in such an important way that uh, I, I hope more museums have an opportunity to take heart in the success of it and to try it themselves. Uh, I think that that the more data we have on this kind of, to me, it's a perfect uh, way of of using technology, uh, not for technology's sake, but Mm -hmm. giving visitors, giving the the people who are coming, the the participants, their own choice, you know, uh, right. they are not being fo- you know, followed around by a docent mm-hmm. saying, can I help you, which is sort of, you know, akin to having clerks in stores follow you around. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they do that to me now because I think they think I'm weak uh, or, mm-hmm. or can't find my way around. Uh, I think there's a little ageism going on, but mm-hmm. in museums it happens, it happens too. So I, that is, that's really, really fabulous. Yeah, and then I think for the visitor as well, um, you know, feeling comfortable to ask any question um, because it's completely anonymous. Um, And so visitors can be free and not feel like, well, is this question silly or, you know, is this, um, you know, maybe insensitive or can be taken as, you know, 
perhaps even um, racially insensitive as well. And so visitors can really, um, you know, be free to just be open um, and honest about their thinking um, about the works on view. And, you know, as um, art historians and museum educators, we just provided a space for them to receive responses about the work and also receive responses about other works on view too. So if you were interested in one work, we can point you to other works um, within the museum that may also speak to your kind of um, interests. That's that. That is so interesting. Well, again, I I uh, encourage everyone to uh, look on uh, the Brooklyn Museum's website. They have the the uh, the ask uh, section of the website. And what I think is wonderful is that you've also been providing data back to those of us who are watching the project, and that is so valuable. Uh, some of us who maybe didn't have an opportunity to go to a particular meeting or read a particular paper, it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very uh, 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 open, uh, collegial a- approach, and, and so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased uh, with that. Well, uh, yes, we took a lot of time at just your, your time at the Brooklyn Museum. Uh, we're going to be going to break, but before we do, uh, do you want to just uh, sort of bring us up to date? Uh, you, you worked at then the Studio Museum in Harlem and also the New York Historical Society, and I know you did some fabulous things at New York Historical Uh, Yeah, so at the New York Historical Society, I was um, a museum educator as well and also um, helped to promote um, our educational programming that we had there um, within schools. So showing schools how museums, specifically the New York Historical Society, can be used as an educational uh, resource. And so we worked within um, schools with within the five boroughs of New York City um, and also uh, within schools within New York State as well, providing um, replicas um, and also worksheets uh, that speak to the museum's collections, um, but within the school. So we had museum educators like myself and um, uh, teaching artists go into the school and show... um, students how to learn using art and also um, teaching educators how to teach through works of art, um, through artifacts and through documents as well. And so that was really exciting to see how museums can, you know, expand their reach. Um, If an institution or if a school or students can't necessarily come to the museum every day or every month, we can provide an opportunity for them to get some part of the museum um, right within their school. That's, uh, I, I think those programs are, are so very important. Uh, we did that uh, even, uh, even when I was working in, in Newark, uh, just uh, I think any way we can go outside the museum walls and integrate the, uh, the museum collections in the daily lives of our audiences, the better better we can be. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to go to break, but when we come back, 
we're going to, uh, Stephanie's going to share with us her her current position, a relatively mm-hmm. new position, uh, congratulations, as the, curator, as the curator of education at the African American Museum in Philadelphia, which is also a fabulous uh, organization with a lot of uh, great things going for us. And I think that it, uh, Stephanie, I know you are going to be leading us in all sorts of brand new directions in that new position. But uh, before, so that's that's the tease, folks. You have to come back. So after break, Stephanie's going to share with us some of the exciting ideas and projects that she has uh, for Philadelphia. So stay tuned. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm Carol Bossert, and I'm here today with Stephanie Cunningham. And if you were listening in the last sec- segment, you know that she is now Curator of Education at the African American Museum in Philadelphia, an organization that I am ashamed to say I have not yet visited uh, and have no excuse for since Philadelphia is so close to Washington, D.C. But I promise, mm-hmm. Stephanie, this winter... After it's not so icy and snowy, I will be there, and uh, you, can, you can show me around. But absolutely, uh, I'll be happy to. So, what what are you most excited about? What's what's in store? 
for the sure for the museum. Absolutely. So, so at the uh, African American Museum in Philadelphia, I direct the staff um, and volunteers of the education department as the curator of education, um, and so working on um, you know creating more lesson plans and. Um, tours and gallery guides and more information um, that can be used as educational uh, resource for schools and um, for other educators um, that are interested in our programming. Um, but I'm really excited about our very current exhibition that we have up, which is called I Found God in Myself. It is an exhibition that celebrates the 40th anniversary of Ntsaki Shange's For Colored Girls. So the exhibition turns Ntsaki Shange's um, literal work into um, visual works. And so we have works that really speak to the experience of um, women of color specifically. So 40 years ago, Ntsaki Shange uh, created a, what she coined as a choreo poem. And this choreo poem is titled, I found, um, For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. And it's really exciting to see, you know, this group, uh, women of color specifically, um, highlighted in such a beautiful way through visual art. And so we have a really robust um, lineup of artists, visual artists, um, uh, some like Carrie Mae Weems um, and Danny Simmons. And so it's really exciting to see all these wonderful individuals come together and create visual works that really speak to um, Ntozaki Shange's um, writing because we know that um, women of color, women in general, um, uh, have always been kind of, you know, within our society, um, kind of almost put to the side, right? We see with our current um, campaign with, uh, you know, hopefully President uh, Hillary Clinton that, you know, women are always kind of um, seen as perhaps not as powerful as men or shouldn't have opportunities as men, but we know that women are also very strong, very powerful, and we know that we also want the same opportunities and also the same pay as men as well. And so this exhibition really highlights the joy, the pain, the celebration of women specifically, but also looking specifically at women of color and thinking about how... Um, these women um, specifically can be embraced by a society that has, you know, put them on the sideline for way too long and kind of bringing them to the center focus. That's uh, how long is the exhibition going to be uh, be up? The exhibition will be up until January 3rd. Okay, well, I better get busy. Uh, <laughs> yes. And come down. Absolutely. You know, I, I, you know. Obviously, we don't want to uh, turn this into a, 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 a political talk. But I, I loved that. Um, I loved for color girls when it first came out, and I was was able to see it in New York. And I think what our you know, current situation has shown, and certainly, uh, I I've been shocked in so many ways, but I thought we had moved farther 
than we have. And what it what it's shown is that those feelings have just sort of gone underground. And while I, I don't know what it, it's like to be a woman of color, uh, mm-hmm. I do uh, still have, have some of those um, memories of, of being a, a, a woman in an all-male all graduate program. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and always thinking, well, maybe I'm making this up. Maybe, you know, maybe I didn't hear that right, you know, and, and I think that that, that may be something that um, I, it takes a while to get culturally unconditioned to always give someone else the benefit of the doubt instead of saying, no, I did hear that right, and it's wrong. Right. Right, exactly. And so really excited to, you know, highlight us women, right? And within the exhibition, um, there are artists, um, not just artists um, that are women of color, but artists of all backgrounds, um, men, um, trans, um, um, you know, people from other countries, Taiwan, Poland. And so it's really exciting to see just how much Ntsaki Shange's um, story of colored girls really speak to um, a wide range of people um, and audiences. And it transcends beyond race, gender, identity, sexuality, age, and geographic location. And so here at the museum, you know, everyone can relate to the exhibition, to the works on view, and to the story itself. And so we're excited that, you know, so many people have already come and seen the exhibition and have, you know, talked about how much their experience relates to a lot of what um, Ntosaki Shange writes about and also what the artists have created within the exhibition as well. And so 20, about 20 works were commissioned specifically for the exhibition we also included um, other works of art that speak to um, for colored girls. That's that's really um, I can just imagine how powerful it is, and so I, I will. Uh, I'm going to get there. I'm just making plans right now. Well, and as soon as you get here, I'll take you on a very exclusive tour. Ooh, how, oh, behind wow, the scenes. Oh, that'll, that will be even, <laughs> even better. Uh, so, you know, one of the things you and I talked a little bit about during, you know, when we were sort of planning this, this interview, and so I'm going to shift gears a little bit to make sure that we have time to talk about, about this, is... I'm just wondering what your thoughts have been with the opening of the uh, uh, African American Museum of History and Culture here in Washington, and you know, wondering if you think it will really how significant of an impact on um, on the on discussions that we're having within the museum community about uh, race and representation. Yeah, so one, I am so excited that the National um, Museum of African American History and Culture is finally opened. I remember years ago being at the Brooklyn Museum and uh, they came and um, I know they came to like every state and collected objects from everyday people and I know they had a space set up shop um, at the Brooklyn Museum years ago that allowed people to bring in their artifacts that they had um, 
at home for consideration as uh, to be a part of the museum, which I really, really love. Um, and so it reminded me that, you know, the everyday person um, has a story, has artifacts that can also be included in the framework of a museum. Um, and so, you know, the everyday um person perhaps has an extraordinary story or extraordinary works um, to share that can be used within the museum. And Namak showed us just that with their traveling throughout the country, collecting um, works from just about everyone. Um, and so I think it's going to create a beautiful dialogue about, you know, race and representation in museums and also a conversation about what can be art and remove this hierarchy of what can be considered art and what can also be considered history and also widen the perspective of different narratives that can be um, shared within the museum. Um, and so I think they're doing a great job and I'm excited um, because my museum is also a Smithsonian affiliate um, about possibilities um, of connecting with that museum, perhaps collaborating somehow or partnering because we are only about um, two hours away from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. That's very in, well. So many things that you said were interesting, but it, but the uh, the opportunity you have as an affiliate to uh, collaborate and bring uh, some of uh, some of their programs or develop you know take some of uh, set some of their uh, collections and their research and bring it to Philadelphia. I think oftentimes uh, here in Washington. There are great museums uh, doing fabulous exhibitions, but mm-hmm. people tend to think of, of you know, their museum experience in Washington as sort of that one-time opportunity. And uh, I think it is the Smithsonian uh, and all museums need to be working uh, harder at, at trying to get uh, communities to understand that this is a place where they could come often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and grow and we could grow and learn learn together. I think that that uh, I'm very excited about this aspect of of our field right now. I think many of us aren't quite sure how we're going to get there, but we sort of see how it could happen. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Celebrating the ordinary, extraordinary stories um, is great. I'm one. I, I think it's also you made a really important point about how, as museums and museum professionals, we really need to acknowledge the fact that our decisions matter, and not only do they they matter in the short term, but they matter uh, in the long term. The sort of this idea of whatever we are collecting takes on a patina of grandeur and importance that mm-hmm. that can be used uh, it can be used for the positive as as I think we're we're just seeing with the the African American Museum but that's also righting a wrong because those stories and those objects of as you say ordinary people from across the country across the world had not been told at all. Mm-hmm. They, you know, right. it's those, it's those, those. Not only 
do we need to be telling multiple narratives? But I would hear for a long time in conversations with, with curators and museum directors that, well, that's a good story, but we don't have that collection. Mm-hmm. And the question is, so why don't you either get it, find it, or borrow it? Right. Also, thinking about the multiple narratives that, you know, objects um, can also tell as well. And so not just allowing, you know, one story to be told within the museum based on your work of, of art, thinking how, how the works that are, are already within your collection can speak to, you know, certain situations um, that's happening um, currently as well. And so, you know, thinking how we can include other stories within our collection. And and as you said as well, think about other works, adding other works um, to the collection that can speak more specifically to others' experience um, and also works that, you know, speak to um, other mediums as well. And so not just, um, you know, paintings and perhaps artifacts um, from you know, maybe 1900s, 1800s, but also looking at how works that um, that may not speak to the traditional forms of art um, within the kind of Western canon, and then also thinking about how artifacts that we may collect today can also allow us to have conversations because we know that museums play a formative role in defining and reproducing social relationships through their narrative practices and regarded as cultural representations and upholding a standard of what is important and what is considered art. And so how can we begin to kind of unfold that and remove that hierarchy? I think that's, that is extremely well said. And I'm, I know you're, you're speaking about it as are many others, uh, certainly on, on Twitter and through the work that you're doing, uh, 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 with Museum Hugh, I think that some of these these discussions are beginning to open up. You know, I, I mm-hmm. have always said on this show that museums sort of work at a glacial pace, but I think I'm going to have to start uh, reconsidering that blanket statement because I think a lot has changed and the dialogue and the discussions that we're having right now are much more meaningful and it seems to me, I'm wondering what, what, your, what your observation is, but it seems to be that within the last 18 months, there has been sort of a cracking open of the thinking uh, among many museum professionals that museums really are part of the community and have a responsibility to that community. Are you feeling that the conversations are a little more open than they were, say, a year and a half ago? Absolutely. I think that um, in the past, and even currently, that most museum and non-museum professionals see museums as this unambiguous space that are neutral, are surrounding social issues, but we know that that's not true. We know that with our uh, practice, with the works that we put on view, um, we tell people what is important, and we also um, exclude 
um, others and also conversations within the space as well. So it isn't unambiguous. But I think also within the last two years, there have been conversations within um, major conferences um, around diversity and inclusion. And so... Folks are becoming more and more aware of this uh, crisis and also thinking about how we can really create change surrounding um, the lack of diversity in museums. And so one thing that I'm excited about is that not only is Museum Hue um, talking about this change, we are implementing real changes um, within the museum field um, throughout the work that we're doing. Um, so Museum Hue, we are having monthly museum tours and talks that allow people to tour the museum learn about the different uh, departments and opportunities within museums, hear about the artwork um, in multiple perspectives and narratives, and also having conversations within the institution with the staff around changing the culture of the institution to allow more people an opportunity to have more opportunities within the institution. And so... Having museums thinking about their change from the inside out and not just create diversity within just hiring people from different backgrounds and from different racial identities because we don't want high turnover rate within the institution, but changing the culture and allowing for multiple voices um, to be heard. And so introducing people to the museum in, in a brand new way with fresh new eyes is also important to me as well because we know that a lot of people have already been skewed on the way um, that they see museums and we're trying to change to change that in our work. That's, uh, that's, that's wonderful. And right before we go to break, what is that uh, URL? Is it museumhue.com? Yep, that's true. That's it. That's it. That's it. So you can, uh, for those of you who don't know about it, uh, it's easy to get to and you can see uh, and hear that there are a lot of things going on that can help you build uh, and become a greater part of the conversation, become more knowledgeable about these these issues. And so, Mm -hmm. and I would also say follow our uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page for more information. We'll be updating our um, website with more um, content as well, but definitely follow us on social media as well. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for mentioning that. We're going to go for our second break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk more about um, museums and hiring practices and the challenges and opportunities that 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 provides. Uh, So stay tuned. We have a lot more in store. Uh, Remember, you can always uh, contact me at carol.bossard at verizon.net or on Twitter. My handle is at MuseWrite. I love to hear what you're thinking about the show. Uh, I get so many of my guests and ideas from you. And so please, I appreciate that very much and continue to uh, make this your show uh, by, uh, by having conversations with me. So we will be back in a moment. Uh, This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm here with Stephanie Cunningham, who is currently the Curator of Education at the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Uh, And if you missed our second segment, you'll want to go back and listen to that. Stephanie was sharing with us a fabulous exhibition that is currently on at the museum. It will be there through just the beginning of January. So if you have any opportunity at all to get to Philadelphia and see this great show, uh, please, please do so. And as we were finishing up this segment, Stephanie was also sharing with us uh, some of the work that she and her colleagues are doing on um, on behalf of looking at, at diversity and, and diverse practices uh, within museums on her uh, web page and uh, Twitter and other social media projects through Museum Hue. And so Stephanie probably... Here's a question. You and I talked about it before, but it's one that's really sort of, uh, sort of. I'm, I don't know where I stand on this, so I really would like, uh, am interested in in your your thoughts and impressions. And it all, um, it sort of started to crystallize for me with with a blog that you wrote uh, for the Center for the Future of Museums as part of the American Alliance of Museums this past February, and. You said something that I thought was so very important is that museums need to start uh, with their hiring practices uh, to look outside of the museum, you know, the traditional museum community. And, you know, it reminded me so much. I I ask my guests every single week, you know, what their career trajectory is. And I've heard from so many listeners that this is their favorite part of the show and I think it is mine, too. It's a, it's a great way of getting to know people. But more importantly, I think what it shows is so many of us came from very diverse backgrounds, 
to come into the museum field. And Mm -hmm. by doing that, we brought lots of different perspectives. Now, you know, whether all, you know, everyone has stayed within the museum field, and I think you mentioned that earlier, that, you know, the retention rates are also something that we need to, to look at. But I'm, I'm just wondering, do, are you concerned at all with our emphasis now on museum studies programs as sort of being the pipeline to get into museums uh, are, are we somehow inadvertently creating just another hurdle, particularly for people of color, to enter the museum field? I think um, only focusing on museum studies really perpetuates right homogeneity uh, within the museum field. And I really believe earnestly that museums must begin recruiting from outside the tr- traditional fields uh, for individuals who can assist in breaking down the disconnect between museums and the larger society. And so I think this is of particular importance in the communities that museums look to serve. So museums that must then foster the inclusion of ideas drawn from a variety of subject areas. And so think about it in a more interdisciplinary kind of dialogue um, with, which, which really draws from and contributes to the framework that characterizes museums. And so museums should not privilege one type of interest and experience over another. Um, and also museum-related experience is not necessarily more important than unrelated work experience. Um, and so all paths all paths can lead to meaningful work um, within museums, and we can see different people with different backgrounds um, adding to um, just a vast experience that people can have within uh, cultural institutions within museums. I'm so glad you you said that. I, I think that museum studies programs are offering us as a field so many uh, uh, opportunities to do research, like in mm-hmm. any kind of academic field, but I and I think that they, uh, particularly the online programs I, that I see, offer a great opportunity for those of us who maybe continue to need um, uh, continuing education. You know, uh, mm-hmm. whether whether it's in registration or legal matters or. Uh, how to create a good exhibit label, uh, all of these things. I, you know, we none of us need to always go back and uh, and start from scratch in our learning. But I do worry about programs uh, that don't offer scholarships and require people to to pay a significant amount of money. I think we're sort of creating a, a barrier that is uh, not going to do us a whole lot of service. As right, you, exactly. you, dis- you describe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, you, Absolutely. Now, when you and I, again, this is the full disclosure, uh, Stephanie and I talked about this uh, when we were planning this, this interview. And Stephanie, one of the things you shared with me that I found was just a, such a fascinating project is the Aristotle Project. Could you mm-hmm. share with us, um, our listeners, sort of what what is that project, and and what are some of the lessons that uh, that that uh, that project can teach us all? 
Sure. So the Aristotle Project uh, was created by Google in 2012. And what they did was they um, looked at about 100 teams within Google and saw that the teams that worked best together had a really great formula. And uh, what they saw that number one, um, the number one thing that made a team work well together was psychological safety. Uh, people felt that they could contribute um, their ideas without feeling, you know, silly. Uh, people felt that their work mattered. Uh, they felt that their work was important um, to the team, but also um, outside of the team, and they were able to express themselves in real ways. And so we also can think about that within the museum field as well. People that are working together within institutions, we see that sometimes people don't feel like they can be their true self within the space. And so allowing people to have psychological safety is incredibly important when we do this work, when we are trying to serve communities, allowing people to really be able to think about their kind of ideas and also having the support from team members as well. And so that comes with the entire idea of diversity in museums as well. How can we allow different perspectives and different narratives and different voices to be heard in this space? And in order to do that, people must must feel be able to feel safe um, within the space and safe uh, within their team members psychologically. You know, one of the so I when you told me about this project, I immediately uh, uh, Googled it and uh, read through uh, some of the discussions, and the, and and a couple of them rang really close to me. Uh, and mm-hmm. and one was a comparison between two teams, and one and I think we've been in both teams. One team, you know, there there was a real strict uh, agenda. Isn't that a good thing, right? We're all supposed yeah, to have mm-hmm. a strict agenda and we're supposed to be very task-oriented and very goal-oriented and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we sit there and we talk and we make the decisions and we're out of there in 10 minutes. And that is not creating psychological safety. Right, right. Exactly. And like you said, with also thinking about like clear goals, right? Everyone's talking about diversity and inclusion, but what what does that really mean? What what are the goals of the museum in doing this, right? And so thinking about clear goals, like what what is what are the outcomes? You know, more bodies within the space, that's important of course, but also how can we decide that if we want people to come into the museum, how can we also assist individuals um, as well and use the museum and use services as an entry point for um, um, having people, um, increase people's interest within the museum. And I, I want to go back to this uh, because I, I am finding this in, in my own work as an interpretive mm-hmm. planner. Uh, I have, uh, and I, I will give you another compliment by looking at uh, and following the work that Museum Hugh is doing. It's given me uh, greater tools to think through. Uh, and even question some, quote, traditional narratives 
and mm-hmm. that I'm working on with my clients and ask, well, you know, what are the additional narratives? And then how do we work through for an exhibit and for an audience what that collective narrative can be and not, you know, not one or the other or here, you know, we'll give you three narratives and you make up your mind as if one is correct. But how do we start to blend that together? And that takes time and a lot of, and it takes safety to say, well, I don't know. Let's keep talking it through. Right, exactly. And so not only uh, in, through Museum Hugh are we visiting cultural institutions and assisting people in advancing their career within the field, we're broadening their horizons, right? Teaching valuable career skills uh, through the arts, exposing them to new opportunities and helping them navigate through um, what can sometimes be, you know, an, an oppressive space. Um, and so we are being very intentional um, in the workshops and programs that we create um, for our museum hewers. Um, so whether it be our museum tours and talks, um, our university uh, courses, or our Tuesday tweet chats, we are being really intentional and in thinking about um, their, our uh, psychological safety that we're creating within our community, and also thinking about um, you know ways that we can really um, change the field. And and thank you. Uh, Thank you for your service, uh, because I certainly feel that I am a better person and a better professional uh, because of uh, some of the the programs that I've I've participated in. I think it's helping me create uh, a vocabulary that mm-hmm. uh, you know allows me to commun- communicate some of these things. And I'm not going to let you answer that because we are out of time. Uh, right. Stephanie, it has been, and I want, want to give you a chance to say thank you, you know, to, to say one yes. more thing. Um, uh, but, so, so, but thank you, Stephanie, for all the work you do for uh, bringing these uh, just important issues to our attention, our collective attention, and then helping us uh, talk them through in a, in a yes. safe way. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in. <laughs> and if and tell all your friends if you miss this one you can always catch it on the podcast uh, available 24/7. Uh, so Absolutely. we we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life and uh, until then thank you very much for listening. This is Carol Bossert uh, for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.